Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as The Run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I am Travis Shadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern at the Savannah Morning News. I'm joined, as always, on the show by Greg Talbot of WSAV. Greg, how are you? What's going on, buddy? It's uh, nice and chilly out there today. It finally feels like fall, and it's almost Christmas. Yep. Gotta love Savannah. Yeah, it's bowl season in college football. So on today's uh, show, we'll talk about that. Greg and I will go four downs, and then we'll discuss the recently handed out Sunbelt Awards. Don't um, even get me started. Yeah, and all that came with Rev that, your engines, gentlemen. That announcement. We'll then uh, preview Eastern Michigan a little bit for the Camellia Bowl, and then the episode will wrap up with an interview of mine with Tony Paul of DetroitNews.com. He help, helps us learn a little bit about... Um, the Mac Eagles of Eastern Michigan. Um, and then at the end of the episode, we'll announce some news concerning the podcast and the future of the podcast. Thank you for the drum roll. That was a drum roll on the Craig. table. So uh, you ready to start? We'll go four downs. Let's go. You first. All right. So I'll start first down. It looks like the Georgia Southern success this season has carried over into the recruiting arena as the Eagles have landed several big names uh, for the class of 2019. They've done so really in the last 48 hours. Greg, I know you got a full schedule, but just being on Twitter and everything, it's it's plain to see that there's some momentum. J.D. King of Fitzgerald, uh, fans of high school football around Savannah will remember J.D. King kind of running over past and through B.C. a few years back, and actually West Kennedy and that B.C. team. So J.D. King has announced his transfer from OK State to Georgia Southern. He'll sit out next year for NCAA transfer rules and then uh, be eligible following that. But he's a he's a big time back. And then recently, David Spaulding, the cornerback out of Bradwell Institute in Hinesville, who I really, really like. He's a big bodied. Love him. Cornerback. Great, great yeah. signing. Yeah, and he he's, has played sparingly this year uh, for Bradwell. And their, their season's done, obviously, but he's, if you watch his film, it's pretty plain to see that he's a quality cornerback. And he chose Georgia Southern over the likes of Cincinnati, Boston College, and App State. He will be visiting Cincinnati this weekend, I think, but he's already committed 
to Georgia Southern. And then yesterday, Tuesday, Anthony Wilson from Columbia, South Carolina, a two-star athlete, also committed. That makes 14 commitments for Lunsford and company for the class of 2019. So to summarize, yeah, there's a lot of momentum on the field and a lot of momentum off the field for Georgia Southern. Those are really good signings and not surprising to know that Chad Lunsford has continued his trend, which they really started last year, of really hitting Georgia really hard. Yeah. Um, David Spaulding, so Bradwell Institute, for those of you who are not around here, that is the big 6A school in Hinesville. And the guy that everyone knew on that team the last two years was their running back, Kevin Harris, who's a commit to South Carolina. But when you talk to their coach, Ross Couch, and you say, you know, who else should we be watching? He doesn't just say, oh, it's Kevin and everyone else. He said, David Spaulding, that kid's going to be a great D1 athlete. And he said it last year. He said it in yeah. 2017, and, and he was exactly right. So David Spaulding's a, a great signing. I'm really particularly excited that they've got another local guy who we can watch come up through the ranks uh, in Statesboro. My second down, and, and we'll talk about this more in length, but I just want to say it because this is the thing I'm hottest about. The Sunbelt Conference, shame on you to have anyone except Chad Lunsford be coach of the year yep. is highway robbery. It's a disgrace. It reeks of lazy voting for just the, the coach whose team won the league. Chad Lunsford brought in new coordinators, new coaches, uh, started from the bottom with a two-win team. If they had only beaten Troy on November 10th, they would have been playing for the conference championship game last week. Right. And we'll, we'll talk about this more a little bit later, but God, I mean, I did basically three minutes ranting, monologuing on WSAV last week on this. I'm still hot on this. And the, the Sunbelt Conference coaches and media voters who who cast their ballots for anyone but Chad Lunsford for coach of the year it's either lazy or it's either lazy or done for the wrong reasons I can't I I I mean Satterfield did great without his quarterback from Jake Lamb from the last four years but why else would you vote for anyone but Chad Lunsford just because that was the name at the top during the preseason I guess let's enter our new segment it's called conspiracy theory time we're gonna (laughs) go into a conspiracy theory on what happened (laughs) We'll talk about it, like you said, Greg, but yeah, how whatever the reason, it's embarrassing for the conference to not get that one right. I mean, that one's as easy as it gets, and you still got it wrong. So something has to change there. We'll talk in depth about that coming up. My third down is, is concerning the Georgia Southern coaching staff, and I don't want to be a jinx here, but it does look like the staff will stay intact for now, but... You know, that, the only reason I say that is because that Scott Sloan and Bob DeVest, you can see, are hitting the recruiting trail hard. But, I, you know, I kind of talk myself in circles with this one because, you know, the, what are they going to be doing not recruiting? So they could still theoretically take other jobs in the conference and around the country. And I'm sure that there'll be, there's going to be interest in them. But for now, it looks like Lunsford's going to be able to keep the staff mostly intact. But, you know, it is a storyline as the bowl game approaches and then immediately following the bowl game. We tend to focus on the coordinators, and and rightfully so. They're kind of the ones running the show on both sides of the ball. But also, you know, we should keep an eye on the positional coaches and kind of the guys lower on the totem pole because those are the guys that tend to get, you know, the lateral moves within the conference. Those are the guys that will tend to move on just you know, mostly based on pay and opportunity. So the coaching staff for now, 
intact, but definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, and, and my fourth down is that we've since the last time we did this podcast a week ago, we found out that they're playing Eastern Michigan, and I want people to be excited yeah. about this bowl game because when I heard Eastern Michigan, so I lived in Michigan one summer in college when I was broadcasting minor league baseball. And all I knew about Michigan, Eastern Michigan then, and all I really know now until this week was they play on that ugly, empty, gray field, and they had like the <laughs> lowest attendance of any Division One college football team statistically a couple years ago. This, this is low-key a kind of interesting matchup, so even if you were underwhelmed when yeah. you heard as Eastern Michigan like I was, take a second and think about what we're going to tell you about why this is a potentially interesting matchup, because... I all of a sudden am kind of intrigued, and I and I swore that I wasn't going to be. Well, yeah, I mean, it, listen, when you hear Eastern Michigan and then you take five seconds to look at their history. The gray field, baby. Yeah, it's a little underwhelming. And I, hopefully I'm not the only one that thinks of semi-pro every time I hear Michigan. I just think Flint, Michigan, Mega Bowl every single time I hear Michigan. But Eastern Michigan, it's going to be an interesting matchup for sure. And they're definitely excited and anxious to play this bowl game this thing means a lot to that program and plenty more on that program in depth with tony paul at the end of this episode but for now let's move on to some news and notes from georgia southern and and we'll talk mostly about the sunbelt award so let me just quickly run through who went where and who was selected where and then how they were selected and we'll talk about it uh with greg so 12 georgia southern players named to all conference. First team was Kendall Vildor, Curtis Rainey, and Tyler Bass. Second team was Wesley Fields, Monquavian Brinson, Jeremiah Colbreth, and Raymond Johnson the third. Third team was Logan Hunt. And then honorable mention was Rashad Bird, Shy Wirtz, Wesley Kennedy the third, and Ty Phillips. Okay, so before we get too deep into the weeds on the individual guys, before we get to the coaches, based on what you just said. I don't think there is actually that much wrong with the player placement. Okay. I think Brinson should have been first team. Brinson should and and Wirtz should have been third team, I think. I yeah, mean, that's I, plain as day I, for I think me. Shy got robbed by going honorable mention, but yeah, I think Brinson could have been higher, and I think Shy should have been third team quarterback, but I, I don't think the player placements are wrong. In fact, I, I think the I think the conference got the player placements largely right. Well, look, I I disagree with Wirtz and Brinson, but I said in my column last week about this that players being misplaced on all conference teams isn't exactly revolutionary. That kind of happens in every single conference every year. Well, and naturally, although every media every media contingent and coach sees the other players, knowing what we know about Georgia Southern and having watched every game, we've got a more Southern-centric perspective. For sure. For sure, and that and that's fair, but that's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about with you, Greg, is this is how they vote the all-Sunbelt teams. They take 10 media members, one from each school, selected by the school. Do we know who votes for Southern? Is that... Yeah, it's State? Mike Anthony of the Statesboro Herald. I was going to ask if it was the Herald. Okay. Right, so, and then, you know, I know... Ethan Joyce of the Winston-Salem Journal is the App State reporter so or the App State voter. So it tends to be whoever the lead beat writer is or the, the beat writer that's been there the longest, I guess. But here's where my problem is. The other 10 votes out of the 20 come from opposing coaches. And so two things with that. A, opposing coaches, even though, you know, this may seem obvious, they're not really watching the entire conference every single week. Not even close. They're probably watching the Thursday night national right. game and then the person they play that week. Right. And why would they be watching 
the conference every week. I mean, they simply don't have time. If they are watching the conference every week, then they're probably fired. Yeah, not doing something they should be doing. But here's the thing: if I'm, let's say that I'm your guy, Jamie Chadwell, or uh, Mo, was it Moglia at uh, Coastal Carolina? Is that the head coach's name? So if I'm if I'm a head coach in the Sun Belt Conference, who's not the head coach of Troy, and who's not the head coach of App State. Why on earth would I vote for Chad Lunsford to be the coach of the year when I know next week I'm going to be out there recruiting against him? So if I know that Satterfield is the expected coach of the year coming into the year, and it wouldn't be a surprise if he wanted, and he's likely moving on out of the conference away from me, why would I not just give him the vote so I don't have to recruit against the Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year. Sunbelt Conference body politic here, Travis. But here's the thing. The coach, we have no idea who voted for who. There's no accountability at all. Do we even know that Chad Lunsford came in second? No, because the Sunbelt won't release the votes. So we don't even know that he came in second. He could have came in fifth. No taxation without representation. <laughs> right. Give and, us the vote. And it's so archaic to think that people aren't going to complain when you don't release the results of the vote, the Sun Belt would do itself a bunch of favors if it took the responsibility off of itself and put it on the voters by releasing the results. I mean, you don't have to do it real time. Just do it after the fact. Do it a month later. But that way, a coach can't throw away a vote. And if he does, he's going to be at least semi-held accountable for it. And let's give Scott Satterfield briefly here his due. He he did yeah, he's great. A good, he's a great coach. And landed at Louisville. Uh, I I thought he was going to land at North Carolina. I was surprised you. I'm surprised Chapel Hill went back to Mac Brown. That seems yeah. That seems questionable. Step step in the backwards direction. Um, I thought Satterfield was going to land at Chapel Hill for sure. But Louisville's a great job. I mean, at least it was in, until the last you know until Lamar Jackson graduated. So good for him. Clearly a great coach. His record at App State and the standard he upheld spoke for itself. That said, I, I think you're exactly right, although I'm not sure how many people outside of diehard Sunbelt Conference fans and people who listen to this podcast care about the Sunbelt well, Coach Frank- of the Year honors. But I no, I, I think you're exactly right that it's disappointing, and, and I, I'm not paid by Georgia Southern. I'm paid by WSAV to be as objective as I can be while covering teams like Georgia Southern. I got pissed off on Chad Lunsford's behalf. It's like, kind of embarrassing he got for com- all of us. He got completely robbed. Yeah, and it's embarrassing for all of us to be a part of something that's supposed to be legitimate, and it's far from legitimate. I mean, like you said, it sounds a little homerish to be this upset about it, but to get something so simple, so, so wrong, and, and it's so obvious, you know, it's you cannot just wash your hands of it and move on. And, you know, I at the very least, I know Lunsford's not really going to spend time caring about it uh, for obvious reasons, but I can, and, you know, I, I've spent plenty of time caring about it and being pissed about it so i'm gonna at least vent on this on this uh in this venue so i did want to touch quickly on brinson and and words Marquavian brinson was definitely robbed i mean he should have been first team cornerback over app state's clifton duck and it's clear if you look at the numbers clifton duck is nowhere near a first team sunbelt selection he should have been preseason first team and he was because he has that kind of talent but the season did not live up to it. He wasn't in the top 50 in tackles. He had one pick. He wasn't in the top 15 in passes defended or pass breakups. And Monquavian Brinson was Georgia Southern's leading tackler all season. Right, yeah. All season. As a cornerback and pro football focus who does only analytics, 
who, unlike Sunbelt voters, base, bases their vote only on numbers and stats. Take that for data. Yeah, so he was voted by Pro Football Focus first team, so first team all Sunbelt. So Do you think it's just because they didn't want to give it to the two corners on the same team? I think it's probably because maybe they didn't have a lot of time to vote, or they didn't put a lot of time into it, and they just look at who was first team. Clifton Duck's an easy name. He was second team All-American last year. I mean, he's kind of... A, close to being a household name around App State and around the conference uh, as you can get. And so it was an easy choice to pick Clifton Duck, but as many of these picks were, it was the wrong choice. Same for Shy Wirtz. I mean, taking Caleb Evans, Justice Hansen, player of the year, no complaints there, first-team quarterback. Second-team, Zach Thomas at App State. He only played, I think, eight, nine, ten games, but I'm not going to complain about that either. He had 18 touchdowns and four interceptions, that's okay with me at second team. Caleb Evans led the Sunbelt Conference with 12 interceptions, and he was voted third team all-conference over Shy Wirtz, who leads the conference in rushing touchdowns and also has 10 passing touchdowns. It's, uh, it's, you know, there's no argument for Caleb Evans over Shy Wirtz at third team. There's no argument that involves, I guess, stats, numbers, or football performance, that is that would give you Caleb Evans over Shy Wirtz. And so I guess to close this kind of vent for me, Greg, if the Sunbelt wants to release these awards and if you're going to pretend like they're legitimate awards that guys should be happy about and the guys should put on their resume and that they should remember forever, then they had better make the votes transparent and they had better do it pretty quickly or else it's just going to become kind of a laughing matter as it was this year. Do you think... That they will no no no. The, the, I'm trying to formulate the question while I'm asking it. Do you think it was the coaches or the media members who didn't vote for Lunsford for head coach of the year? The was co- it the coaches? I think it was the coaches. Me and too. Doing my own little straw poll, I I think it had to be the coaches. And I think media members who pay attention week in week out week out of the conference couldn't have not voted for Lunsford. Right, and maybe they couldn't have looked at themselves in the mirror if right. they voted for anyone else. I right. Mean, I think it was the coaches. I think you're right. Yeah. And, you know, there, we could talk about this forever, but the point is that the sample size of voting is not large enough for two to three to four guys to make statements with their votes. And that's what happened here. Pretty clear as day that they didn't want to reward a guy who maybe they didn't like the way he went about things, or maybe they didn't like the momentum that Lunsford had. But either way, I don't blame the coaches for not voting for Lunsford because why would they? There's no accountability. There's no, nothing will ever come of it. So, I, you know, I don't blame them, man. That needs to be fixed pretty quickly, I think. Um, anything else on the Sunbelt Awards before we move on? No, that's it. You, you said enough about <laughs> Yeah, I could go for days on that one. So let's, let's jump into Eastern Michigan quickly. Greg and I will talk about the Eagles of the MAC, the green and white, and then we'll have our interview with Tony Paul of DetroitNews.com following that. So Eastern Michigan is 7-5 and five overall. This is their second bowl game in the last three years. It's also their second since 1989. I think that they've been in three bowl games total since they joined the MAC in 76. So I guess this is their third bowl game since 76, not 89. Uh, like we said, this is a historically bad program that has turned things around in the last three or four years under their new coach, Chris Creighton. And I guess not new coach, but semi-new. He's kind of been a little bit, to kind of exp- explain his manners to people, he's been a little bit like Lunsford in that 
He hasn't been afraid to use social media to engage the fans or what you know what little fans there are around Eastern Michigan. I remember reading an article a couple of years ago. I, I don't know whether it was not before or after he came to the program, but it, I think I read that they had the lowest in-person attendance of any FBS program. I think I read an article and saw pictures where there were like uh, 300 people at their one game yeah. of theirs. And Tony talks about this in in our interview. They were the subject of, I think, a 60-minute or a real sports or a 60-minute segment or something about the decline of kind of mid-level college athletics. And they're just, I think, maybe 10 or 15 miles from Ann Arbor. So what you have is a giant mega Division One athletics program in the University of Michigan. 110,000 people in their seats. Right, 110,000 in the seats and way less than that probably enrolled right. at Eastern Michigan and not obviously not a strong alumni base, but they have turned things around similar to the way that Georgia Southern has in that they kind of changed their culture and they don't really have the history to fall back on that Georgia Southern does. But the point is that they're here after having several bad years. And so this game matters to them, and it matters a great deal. Tony will touch on that in the interview. You know, one thing that sticks out for me about this team is that three losses this season have come by three points or less, or three points exactly, and one of those came in triple overtime. This Eastern Michigan team beat Purdue, which we know Purdue beat Ohio State. That's been, you know, well chronicled throughout the season. But Eastern Michigan has legit talent and they have legit players, but you can tell that maybe the depth isn't there or, or maybe they're missing something here or there. But they're 7-5 and five out of the max, so they're a legitimate team. And they're a team that's favored by a point as we speak today, Greg, over Georgia Southern, which surprised the hell out of me. I don't know if what you expected, but I expected at least four or five points given to Eastern Michigan. And instead, they're giving up one point right now. And I guess I'll ask you plainly, is that simply because Georgia Southern is an option team and Eastern Michigan has three weeks, four weeks to prepare for an option offense? Otherwise, I don't really see what the, you know, what Vegas would see. And certainly they don't have to release what what they see in this game. But I, I think Georgia Southern on paper has a clear advantage in a couple of spots, and we'll talk about that. But what are you seeing? I've got absolutely no clue. The I haven't thought about the spread until you just said it. The only thing that I can maybe think about is that Southern is a team that all season long was riding the wave of momentum, and now all of a sudden they're not going to have played in four weeks, and maybe the tidal wave that carried them to the rest of the season after they lost those two games is, is gone, yeah. and they're just going to strap up and play without the momentum that, led them up and down this season I, but I don't know how Vegas would know that about this team so I I don't have any good reason I will say that Southern probably their worst performance of the year came at ULM ULM before that game had a bye week and had plenty of time to prepare for the Georgia Southern offense and ULM a less than average defense really shut down Georgia Southern's offense it's a good point maybe maybe there's something there but just kind of how this team is built, Eastern Michigan, they're built defensively, and they're pretty good defensively. I don't think I would take this game. You don't think so? I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't bet this game. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'd get nervous betting any option team in a bowl game. Yeah, I would Just bet. because... I would, I would call this a stay-away game. Yeah. Yeah. Just pick the other 10 games on December 15th? Not entertainment purposes only. <laughs> yeah. I, there's just something about this game where I... I haven't the faintest idea what this game's going to look like. I have absolutely no clue. 
Well, let me tell you a few places I think could make the difference one way or the other. I think Eastern Michigan is number 32 in the country in total defense or scoring defense, allowing just 22 points a game. That's second in the MAC. They're also number 30 in touchdowns allowed. They're tied actually with Georgia Southern, 32 touchdowns allowed. So their defense is legitimate, but on offense, their rushing game is non-existent, really. They're number 92 in the country, 150 yards a game rushing, and they're number 120 in third down conversion percentage. So if the Georgia Southern defense can keep them into third and average or third and longs, they should be fine. But where I think Georgia Southern can have success is plainly right up the middle and with Wesley Fields and Monteo Garrett and Logan Wright because Eastern Michigan, as good as their defense has been scoring-wise, they've been giving up 193 yards a game defensively rushing to other teams, and that's number 93 in the country. They're also one of the most penalized teams in the country, averaging 7.7 penalties a game. That's something Georgia Southern obviously hasn't done. Now, Eastern Michigan also prides itself on not turning the ball over. I think they're plus 10 or plus, yeah, plus 10 in the country, which or plus 10 in turnover margin, which is top 10 in the country. So I don't expect a lot of turnovers in this game, but I think the place that Georgia Southern is best at running the ball is the place that the Eastern Michigan defense is the worst at. They pride themselves on shutting down the passing game, and and that shouldn't be a problem for Georgia Southern. So if Georgia Southern is going to be successful, it'll be their bread and butter, I think. And I think it'll be a lot of what we've seen the last two weeks, Greg, and that's a lot of Shywerts and a lot of Wesley Fields and a lot of those two guys in the key moments of the games. Who, who do you think might be a key player in this one? I, I'm actually pretty much exactly with you. I don't think they're going to try a bunch of new plays. I don't think they're going to pass a ton. I think we can look downfield two or three times to yeah. Darian Anderson, as we've been doing since midway through the season. DA, so, big play. Yeah, big play. Big play DA. Yeah, Sounds, we'll better. Work on it. Sounds better. We'll work on it. Well, we might have to ask uh, DA for Sounds better. his advice on that. Um, it's not even a hard question, Travis. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be Kennedy. I mean, it's going to be Fields and, and Wurtz and maybe a little bit of Kennedy, although I'm still confused why he isn't touching the ball as much. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in the bowl games you're kind of allowed an opportunity to – play with some things and maybe try some things that you, you should be i'm hoping the best opens up the playbook you have literally nothing to lose but now i'm looking at it and i'm thinking man they might not need to it might be like just a game where you go plain and you just run the ball because you can but yeah i mean we'll see because eastern michigan obviously all we have to go by is what they've put on film and, and the numbers um but you know they could come out and change things as well just a couple of guys to Maybe keep an eye on, and Tony Paul will hit on this more in our interview. Offensively, Blake Bantam is their best player. He's a senior wide receiver, and you can think of him in the build of kind of an OB fortune, but in the role of a Wes Kennedy. So he's used in a bunch of different places, including the return game. They'll run a kind of a shotgun uh pistol look eastern michigan will and they'll use an h back a lot with lots of motion on offense defensively like we said they're second in the mac uh with um and 32 nationally allowing just 22 points a game they'll run a 4-4 scheme with a lot of sure-handed tacklers and a lot of guys that can play not maybe not a bunch of stars but one guy on their team that is a star is Max Crosby, and this is a football name, man. Max with two X's. 
uh, has 18 tackles for a loss and seven and a half sacks on the year. So he's someone for sure that Georgia Southern needs to look out for. And like we said, they'll run a 4-4 defensively, so they'll have a lot of guys that are expected to make tackles in the second level against Georgia Southern. Yeah, so what that means to me is that they're going to largely stack the box and use that to try to contain the edge with their good defensive linemen. I, I think the key for them is going to be making sure Wirtz can't get out of the pocket. And I think with four linebackers in on every play, they're going to have a pretty good success right doing that. And what what I see when I watched just a couple of games of theirs this year, uh, this week, is that they are not scared to load the box, like you said, and put their cornerbacks on an island. And so when Georgia Southern does pass, it'll be kind of up to the receivers to make plays. I'm, again, I'm confident in that matchup. If I'm Georgia Southern, anytime that Georgia Southern is able to get one-on-one in this game, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Especially with Anderson or maybe Kennedy putting the slot. I like yep. those odds. Yep. So let's, uh, you got anything else on Eastern Michigan? We got a few Twitter questions. So we have a Twitter question or questions from JC Pike, which is at no food TV. He wants to know how high Curtis Rainey will go in the draft. I guess he's a Jacksonville guy. It sounds like he wants to know how high Curtis Rainey will go in the draft. Who's from, Jacksonville wants to know when Dexter Carter Jr. will be used more and then will offensive lineman Jake Edwards be back next season quickly on Jake Edwards he's a redshirt junior I'm sure he will be back next season he's played in all 12 games this year so I think yes he will be back next year from what I can tell Dexter Carter Jr. like we said the redshirt sophomore he's played a lot on special teams he was pretty highly touted coming into Georgia Southern, but it seems like he's kind of been passed up on the depth chart, especially at receiver. He's a guy that has a lot of talent, and his father played in the NFL, I think won a Super Bowl with the 49ers, actually. So he's got the pedigree. I, I think he'll be given every opportunity next year uh, to perform, but this year I don't see him making an impact in the bowl game. And as far as him being used in the return game, I think that's Wesley Kennedy's job to lose uh curtis rainey just for me googling and and doing a little bit of research it doesn't seem like he's a guy that's really gonna go before day three right now but a lot of that changes for offensive linemen after the combine and after pro days so i think maybe stay in touch with what curtis rainey is doing pro day wise and combine wise following the bowl game i expect him to get drafted but I don't see it happening before day three. And then I think we had another Twitter question from Miss Pittman. Actually, Justin Birdsong's uh, mother wanted to know if this is a fair matchup. Is this an equal matchup with Eastern Michigan? I guess we touched on that. Uh, yeah, I think it's fair. I just wish that it's not that I don't like the Camellia Bowl, but I would have. It's a blue collar bowl. It's not very sexy. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I thought it would have been fun to see Southern playing a team from the American or the Mountain West. I, For sure. The, the Mac, I mean, it is a equal conference to the Sun Belt. It is basically Sun Belt North. I just thought it wouldn't have been more fun to see a, a team from a more out-there conference. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would have been, but here's the thing. At least it's a Saturday night game, 5.30 Eastern. And it's not all the way across the country, you know? People can yeah. go to this one. Yeah, and it's... I mean, you have an opportunity to kind of make a statement and be a team that I think, at least, you should be. What's it going to be on? ESPN 2? ESPN the ESPN mother- proper? Yeah, the mothership. Wow, okay, cool. So, 5.30 Eastern on December 15th. That's good. Uh, let's, quickly, before we go to the Tony Paul interview, I wanted to kind of give you guys an idea of what the podcast will look like moving forward. So, Greg and I will, we have this podcast that you're currently listening to, and then we'll have a full bowl preview 
prior to Georgia Southern's bowl game with Eastern Michigan. Then we'll have a recap episode of that bowl game. And then from there, we'll move into mostly basketball starting in January. We still will touch on football news and notes and especially recruiting and maybe coaching changes, players leaving, players coming, stuff like that. But just as kind of a reminder and something to look forward to, we will take a break following the bowl game and then we will start doing the basketball I'll call it the basketball only podcast once every couple of weeks in what, January. The, yeah. So we're going to try to do it twice two, basically twice a month. Okay. So, and, and they'll probably be a bit longer and it'll be just a way for us to kind of catch up on things and keep you guys up to date on things. But definitely if there's any feedback from you guys and something you guys want to have during the off season or something that maybe you would like to see us touch on more often or, talk about less often i guess um definitely let us know um you know how to reach us by now but uh just wanted to let you guys know the podcast wasn't going away because football season was going away anything else Craig? no man this has been a fun regular season looking forward to, to two more before football season is done and i have i guess nothing to pitch for wsav except hopefully we'll have our georgia southern basketball tv dates announced during the next couple weeks yeah, so look forward to that. And then obviously keep up with us on savannahnow.com slash sports. All of the Georgia Southern columns that I've done and, and stories that we'll be doing pre-bowl game before we head out to uh, Montgomery for the bowl game. So um, thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for this interview with Tony Paul of DetroitNews.com. This episode of the Georgia Southern Extra Podcast is brought to you by the Savannah Morning News' Empty Stocking Fund. Since 1971, the Empty Stocking Fund has been making sure all needy children will have a reason to smile on Christmas morning. Countless readers have shared their blessings with those in our community who are suffering hardships during the holiday season. All contributions are appreciated and will be acknowledged in the manner requested by donors. To donate, please send checks made payable to SCF empty stocking fund to 2225 Norwood Avenue, Suite B, Savannah, Georgia, 31406. Again, that is 2225 Norwood Avenue, Suite B, Savannah, Georgia, 31406. And make sure to label it SCF empty stocking fund. Thank you and happy holidays. All right, we're joined now by Tony Paul of DetroitNews.com. Tony covers Eastern Michigan for DetroitNews.com and is you know in touch with the program. We wanted to get you guys a sense of kind of what the other Eagles have to offer for the Camellia Bowl. So, Tony, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So, first, let's let's just go over briefly, you know, the overview of the EMU season um, for those people that aren't very familiar with the program. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of research to know that, you know, there's not a lot of rich history, but it seems like this is a year um, where they have some talent and they took advantage and, you know, wound up with a seven and five record. Yeah, no, the history is, I mean, the history is historically awful, um, <laughs> brutal. I mean, to the point where, I mean, it's been so bad for so long that, you know, they're, I mean, the program, you know, doesn't draw any fans. They were losing tons of money. They were the subject of an HBO college documentary a couple of years ago um, where they really zeroed in on co- college sports and the finances, and they picked on Eastern because Eastern's financial situation is so bad, and there was a lot of calls at that time for the university to drop the program and save the money and and all that stuff, and uh, they, they persevered. And actually, this is their second bowl game in three years now um, after not having been to a bowl or, 
since the 80s, having not had a winning season since the early 90s. Um, so they've uh, they got a good coach in there after a revolving door. They got Chris Creighton, came over from Drake. Um, they got him about four or five years ago, and uh, you know, he's starting to get you know starting to get the program to believe the players to believe he's a decent recruiter, and uh, they've turned things around. The second bowl game in three years is a is a big deal for this program. The record isn't much to speak of. Seven and five is all right. I think they were six and six a couple of years ago, um, but uh, the fact that they're uh, pushing for bowl games and they pushed for one last year too, lost a lot of close games. So it's actually as as mediocre as the records are in the last three years. Uh, I think it's one of the best three-year stretches in Eastern Michigan football history record-wise. So uh, that tells you uh, where the program has come from. Yeah, Tony, tell us a little bit about their head coach, Chris Creighton. Down here, Chad Lunsford is in his first year at the helm of Georgia Southern, and he's gone about things in you know the most non-generic way you can do it. He's very active on social media, You know, lot, lots of viral stuff coming out of that program and kind of a lot of access into the locker room and, and stuff like that. It seems like Creighton has done at least a little bit of that. What is his kind of personality and makeup as a coach? Yeah, I mean, he's a, I mean, when I know of him, um, my interactions with him, I mean, he's a good coach, obviously. I mean, he had success at Drake, came here, has turned around a program that, again, hadn't had a winning season in forever. Uh, they had a string of, of real tough hires and some controversy with some coach firings, and uh, he kind of calmed things down, if you will. Um, gave the program a sense of stability uh, and, he, and he's accessible and he really in, promotes the program. Um, he's all, he's on the road. He's speaking on campus. He's, you know, meeting with alums and donors and, and all that stuff that you have to do to be successful. And he, you know, basically basic outreach, you know, getting people to take a look at the program, buy into the program, believe in the program. And uh, it's worked. I mean, they used to, uh, you know, the you know the, the thing about the Mac is they get a lot of games on national TV because uh, because of their contract with ESPN and their midweek games. So you can see the stands a lot of times. And 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 you know, four or five years ago, Eastern Michigan, I mean, you could shoot a cannon through through that stadium and and not come close to hitting a fan. <laughs> and now, uh, you know, now I mean, they're not drawing hundred thousand people or anything with Michigan University of Michigan, you know, in their backyard. You know, clearly they're an afterthought, but they are they are starting to get some students to believe and some fans to believe. Even you know, he told me a couple uh, last year that uh, his wife even got stuck in uh, post game uh, game day traffic for the first time ever, which is unheard of in Nipsalani. So he's he, he's very good, a very good marketer, very good at selling his vision and his, his idea. And I think what really people buy into him is is he is the Mac is a stepping stone for a lot of people. And the Mac has sent a lot of people on to successful jobs. I mean, most notably, I mean, you think Brian Kelly or or Butch Jones or or whatnot. I mean, it's it's a stepping stone league. But but Chris has has sold the idea that for him it's not. And uh, he he you know he just signed a long extension a couple of years ago. He likes it here. He wants to succeed here. And uh, I think uh, you know again it goes back to the stability um, of the program. He's brought that to the program, and people are buying in. As far as the you know viral stuff, they did do a fun thing with the on Twitter last week. They did this mock music video right. to the bowl committee to the bowl committee because you know they were seven and five, and usually seven and five is a slam dunk to get into a bowl. But that wasn't the case this year with the eighty-two teams bowl eligible, seventy-eight bowl slots available, and the MAC had. 
too, too many teams for guaranteed bowl slots. So they were sweating it out until the last seconds on Sunday, along with Western Michigan. They both ended up getting in because ESPN, one of the bowls they owned, they picked a MAC team as an at-large, kind of did uh, the MAC a favor uh, to get them all in. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, he's uh, you know he's brought some good things to the program, and uh, you know they're never going to be uh, they're never going to be UCF, okay? Uh, you know they're not going to ever be on that level. Um, you know they have you know and popularity wise, they're in a bad location. They have Michigan in their backyard. You know, I mean they're yeah. they're ten miles from the University of Michigan, so there's really no way they're ever going to you know bump things up as much as they would want but there is progress and as long as there's progress you know you, they have to be happy about that in it's landing yeah i mean appearing in two out of three bowl games seems it seems to be whatever creighton is doing is working Let, let's talk about uh emu this year and just kind of what they'll look like offensively and then uh defensively so Tony, looking at the numbers, you know, obviously we haven't seen a lot of Eastern Michigan on film or anything like that, but looking at the numbers, it does seem to be a team that hangs their hat on defense. But offensively, what will they look like and and what kind of pace will they have? And then maybe are there any players that could potentially, you know, take over the game and and impact it significantly? Yeah, I I think you nailed it there. They're not an offensive juggernaut. Um, you know, in the MAC, there's a lot of good offensive teams, um, and, and you know, from Western or Toledo or Northern Illinois or whatever. But Eastern's a team that uh, traditionally out of Creighton has just kind of grinded things out, and, um, you know, won uh, clock battles and won close games. I and mean, several cases lost close games, low scoring games. Um, so I, they're not going to go out there and put up 50. If they put up 50, that's not a good sign for your program. Um, but, uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Wiegers is the quarterback, uh, and that, you know, he kind of interesting, you know, interesting player. He's from Metro Detroit, went out to I- University of Iowa, um, got stuck behind some quarterbacks out there. He was a highly coveted recruit out of high school and, you know, just wasn't getting the situation out in Iowa that he had envisioned and came to Eastern and, uh, and it's kind of taken over things. I mean, his numbers aren't astounding, maybe 11 touchdown passes or something like that, but, uh, for the most part, keeps good control of the ball, runs a runs a grinded out offense, and uh, you know again it's it's a clock battle for for Eastern when, with their defense. They can keep their defense soft and field and fresh. Uh, that's where they uh, hang their hat, and uh, you know they do a pretty good job of that with uh, with Uyghurs running the show. And so, you know, from what I can tell, the MAC is not really a conference that has a lot of power running teams. Is that accurate? Outside of Western, Western is yeah. Western Michigan runs the ball. They have they have a couple beasts down there, but yeah, it's um, yeah. There's uh, Eastern doesn't have what I would call a, a dynamic back, um, but still they. I mean they can they can turn yards out a little bit here, a little bit there, because again they don't they don't pass a, a ton ton. So um, you know it's balanced. There's just there's just not a lot of dynamic playmaker playmakers on offense. Okay, so well, let's move to the defensive side of the ball because you know I'm looking at the MAC football uh, team, you know, ratings basically where they rank in the MAC offensively and defensively. Offensively, they're still you know middle of the pack. It's not like they can't score, but defensively, they seem to be at the top of, yeah. of nearly every category. So defensively, what will they look like, and and then maybe who are one or two key players. No, they're they're good. They get shut down a passing game. Max Crosby's the, the leader of the defense. Uh he is all first team Mac and uh um 
and uh, cool name too, Max with two X's, not one. I, I kind of think that's <laughs> neat. <laughs> but uh, um, no, I mean they they shut down the passing game really well, um, and uh, yeah, they just they just really um, control things on that side of the ball. I mean, limiting teams consistently to 13, 14, 17 points, um, whatnot. I mean, they 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 they've, they've held down teams like Purdue, um, a big win over Purdue this year. Of course, Purdue. Handed Ohio State, Ohio State its only loss. Um, right. So uh, you know played um, played Army and, and that tricky offense really tough in a loss, uh, but but a tough game. So uh, defense is, is where they're going to uh, win or lose this game. And uh, you know they turn they get they force a lot of turnovers. They you know they win the turnover battle more times than they don't, and that's why they're going to a bowl game because they say if you win the turnover battle, you're going to win most games. And uh, and they did that this year. So. Um, that's the, that's the side of the ball that uh, Creighton has hung his hat on, and uh, this year I think he's probably one of his best offenses he's had, if not his best. Yeah, that's something I'm very, very interested in seeing because um, Georgia Southern has hung their hat on all year, uh, not turning the ball over and winning the turnover battle, and it's led to them being number one in, in college football and, and with a plus-22 turnover mark, right. which, is, which is kind of wild because I think Eastern Michigan is, is a top – at least a top 20 team in turnover margin. Um, I forget the exact number, but that's going to be an interesting part of the game because they're both used right. to turning the other team over and not turning it over themselves. Um, right. I guess. Well, this big- would be one of the, this would be a challenge for Eastern. I mean, this is a good, this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good, pretty good offense they're going to face. And, and Creighton knows that. And, uh, but yeah, turnovers are huge and it's been a big reason why they're in a bowl game. You said the Creighton knows kind of what they're up against. Have you gotten a sense there? And I know they're still, as we record this on a Tuesday, there's still 11 days before the game. But have you gotten a sense at all of what Eastern Michigan expects from Georgia Southern, or kind of what they think of Georgia Southern at all? I mean, well, they were. I mean, they respect the program. They respect the offense a great deal. Um, there's no question about that. Um, again, as far as you know. Um, my limited time with them since, you know, cause it's, it's a weird time of year. You know, these, these coaches all go, you know, they get into bowl games and then they immediately get into airplanes and start recruiting. They're all on the road right now. So they're not really uh, sitting in front of game film or at least, you know, not sitting with their team in front of game film. Um, I think he immediately started going out. He went on the road as soon as he got word that they made a bowl game. So, uh, there's still a little bit of ways in front, away from the preparation, but the limited, the limited that he had seen them, limited amount he had seen them, he was very impressed and figures it's going to be a tough challenge and and one of the tougher. You know, Mac hasn't had a great year. This is going to be one of the tougher games that uh, that Eastern plays this year. But again, they they've got some firepower. They got some ability to uh, to uh, to win some big games. Again, the Purdue one was huge, um, a very eye opener, very eye opening. A win that really got bigger later in the year. Uh, so um, you know. I think a ball win is just they're, they're going to do everything they can to get a ball win. They haven't had one. Uh, they haven't had one in since '87, uh, I think, which uh, it's been a long time. So that's uh, they're going to do everything they can to get that one under their belt. Well, Tony, you kind of touched on it just there, and I guess we'll wrap up with this for Georgia Southern. Well, I'll kind of tell you what I think Georgia Southern's mindset is going into this, and then if you could just react and kind of compare it to what. Eastern Michigan might be thinking for me, Georgia Southern, they were two and 10 last season. So this, while it's, you know, an honor to play in a bowl game and certainly they want to win the bowl game for me, I think big picture, 
if Georgia Southern loses this bowl game, the season still comes off as a success. Maybe not immediately following the bowl game. They won't think that way. But looking back at this season, I think it's a success for Georgia Southern regardless of the outcome. Is it safe to say the same for Eastern Michigan? Or do you think that now that they've reached a bowl in two out of three, that, that, that winning this one really matters? Well, I think that you just nailed it there. I think that, that Eastern would have been in a similar situation to Georgia Southern two years ago when it made the bowl game for the first made a bowl game for the first time since the 80s. Um, made uh, win, I had a winning record for the first time, I think, since the early 90s. Um, and so getting to a bowl game two years ago was, was huge. Uh, it was the Bahamas Bowl. So interestingly, Eastern likes to say this is the first time they've played a bowl game inside the United States since 87. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I think that getting to the bowl game a couple of years ago was such a, you know, such a shift in what, what the norm is for Eastern Michigan that I don't think, you know, and they played a good game. It was a close game, but, uh, uh, as Eastern's all Eastern's games seem to be, I don't know if you've looked that up. Last year they lost like all they lost like all their games last year by a combined like twenty points or thirty points or something yeah, like that. Had, like uh, they just they play close games. I mean, yeah. for whatever reason, it's like seventeen fourteen or twenty seventeen or twenty one ten or whatever. You know, they're all seemingly really close games. But uh, back to your question, I mean, like I said, I think the two years ago it was getting to the bowl game. This year, certainly, I think that they feel the program is going in the right direction. It is going in the right direction. Um, two bowls in three years. It could have easily been three. They had their, they had a losing streak last year of six games where they lost all six of those games by a combined maybe 20 points. Wow. And maybe less. Maybe less. And I think two or three of those were in overtime. Um, so um, it could easily be three bowls in a row. So they they see the sense of progress, and I think taking that next step, you know, beyond I think the the main goals, which are MAC championship and 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 whatnot. But the next another step would be getting a bowl win, and I certainly believe that they'll it'll sting a lot more this year if they go down there and lose than it than it did two years ago. All right, well, Tony, we appreciate you joining us. Do you want to tell uh, folks listening how they can follow you on Twitter and where they can find your stuff online? Yeah, yeah, you can go to DetroitNews.com, cover Eastern and a bunch of other college sports. And, uh, yeah, on Twitter, it's TonyPaul1984. And if uh, if you're looking for someone who only talks sports, then I recommend you do not follow me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, yeah. appreciate you joining us, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.